Welcome to the Adventure Mechanics. I'm Chandler. I'm Devin. And I'm Tom. And today we'll be talking about the game from, what was it, uh, 1995? <laughs> a 1995 single-player horror point-and-click adventure game from Sierra Online called Shivers. Thank you. I was pulling up the Wikipedia a- page, so you beat me to it. <laughs> It's wow! Going to you mean you don't have being... notes? You don't have you don't have notes that... when you go into this. No, like... <laughs> I don't make notes. I have what what, what what I referenced, and then what was interesting about it to me. And I so I that. okay. So I'm literally the only one that comes into this with notes. Is that what I'm just now learning? A year later. Wait, why are you just now learning this? Have I at any point have I ever sounded like I have notes on anything? Tom, you're Tom, you're special. You're off the hook. I thought Chandler is like the anchor of the trio. Uh, no, would, would come in with notes, and I find out that no, he just bubbles up the Wikipedia page. Uh, no, I, I, to be fair, I don't only have the Wikipedia page. Uh, up. I have the interview with uh, Guy Whitmore and the Moby <laughs> Games pages for the producer, the director, and Guy Whitmore. I mean, I'm mostly teasing. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> mostly. I'm, I'm mostly. still going to be combative about that, but <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So this is a game about going to Antarctica and just standing outside of a tent and being cold. Right? No, no, actually, it's oh, not. it's not. Oh, and we'll crap. and we'll get more into that um, and the story and stuff. But it's actually a uh, uh, haunted museum. Is the setting full of it. puzzles and reading? Yeah, it's a point and click puzzle game in the same vein of Mist and Seventh Guest, meaning there's a number of puzzles that you will come across in the museum that are kind of hinted at and kind of have information on that you find out about so that's kind of the core mechanics yeah yeah the puzzles like gate different content for you to be able to complete the game yep solve the puzzles to complete the game basically and they gate sometimes obnoxiously yes going into yes, the, they do going into the theater or using any elevator I was gonna say the, the yeah. theater isn't bad. It's it's the it's the elevators, the randomized puzzles that are. Oof. Yeah. It's yeah. I think we we're, we're yes. yeah we'll get there, but uh, to, not to derail us from our usual thing. Derailing, derail, we're. I think we start off derailed. Can you derail something that's already derailed? I you can derail it more. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Okay, so uh, why don't we go kind of over the story first, since we kind of went over the mechanics. I will be happy to do so. <laughs> Yay! That- so for full full disclosure here, I kind of love this game, so that should probably become very apparent So <laughs> during this whole thing. Uh, I was the one that suggested this to everybody to play. Um, but that said... The story in this game is not, it's not a narrative game. It's much more like Myst, where you actually have to read a lot and find clues um, and put things together in your own mind in order to extrapolate the story. So it's not complete Souls-like, where it's all environmental storytelling, but uh, it's it's definitely not a straight narrative game. So in this, I've, I've compiled the story to the best of my ability 
in a way that you don't get it in the game. So if you don't want story spoilers, skip this part. Why are you even listening to this podcast? <laughs> yeah, why That's are you even point. listening yeah. at this point too? That is a really good question. But if you don't want if you don't want story spoilers, in fact, just pause pause the podcast, go play the game. It's, you know, you can get it on on GOG. It's cheap. Uh, sometimes it goes on sale. Just go play it, come back. It's cool. And then you can hear the story and find out what you missed because you may or may not have missed some stuff. Like so, all of it. Again, speaking for yeah. Tom and I. But. Yes. Uh-huh. And we'll get to that. So yes, yeah, so Tom and Chandler actually don't know the backstory and the story of this game. So they will actually learn this along with all of you who may not know it. But again, you don't get the story in this order, in this fashion, in the game. It's just I felt like to tell the story, it was better to do it in this way that you're going to hear. And also, I do know that there is a weird verb transition from past tense to present tense. It just worked that way. Just go with it. All right. Like, it's cool. <laughs> well, you're so you're not going to hear any complaints from me. I'm, I'm not nearly that pedantic. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Uh, it's like it's like to people like me in the audience who would go, huh. It's almost like you're a writer and that stuff matters to you or something. Yeah, it, something like that. <laughs> so the story, <laughs> the story of Shivers. Sir Hubert T. Windlenot was born in England, the scion of a prestigious family. He went to Oxford, as was expected of someone of his standing, and after graduating married Mary Elizabeth Worthington, a woman of title. But Windlenot wasn't the ordinary or the settling down type. Before long, he was drawn to Egypt and the secrets of the ancients. He wanted to devote his life to bridging the gap between myth and fact, and all myth, he believed, was based on factual evidence. In 1938, he discovered that cultures who never had contact with the Egyptians built pyramids of similar style and scale. He wrote a paper on the subject, which which granted him acceptance to the Royal Society at the age of 30. Membership was important to him, so he didn't express his true feelings on the matter, that these pyramids had been inspired by, and perhaps instruction provided to humans by, aliens. Uh, Of course. I don't have my hair big enough for that reference. Yeah. (laughs) Aliens. He began to speak of his theories of extraterrestrial visitation, but only received ridicule. His colleagues accused him of hallucinating, and his wife frowned on how his antics affected his reputation. He spent many years traveling around the world, finding evidence of ancient aliens and other things. Ancient aliens. Ancient aliens. Mm Mm-hmm. Windlenot's son, Geoffrey, was born in 1955. Windlenot loved his son dearly and doted upon him, but archaeology and the search for knowledge would always be Windlenot's greatest love. In the late 50s, Windlenot discovered what he claimed to be a griffin in Turkey and presented it to the Royal Society. He was booed out of the room. Other scientists looked into Windlenot's griffin and found it to be an amalgam of many different creatures including a saber-toothed cat and a pterodactyl that had fallen into a tar pit in ages past how did windlenot was i I think that's a real thing that happened didn't it uh Uh, it's a thing that happens a lot honestly it's a thing i'm just curious how a pterodactyl a saber-toothed tiger kind of like does tar not i guess it doesn't really become fully solid so everything kind of sinks to the bottom where it's not tar anymore everything kind of mixes up i think is kind of the idea is that 
it all the bones got sank to the bottom and got mixed up like you said and that he just pulled them out and thought it was one creature when in fact it was multiple creatures yeah uh, in different species I, I was gonna call that out but as i talked it through i realized that's a lot more reasonable than at first yeah. blush <laughs> yeah yeah and i i'm pretty sure tom i think you're right i think there were th- something like this has happened in history i just i don't know what it is um things like this i feel like happen a lot but mm-hmm. you know we'll get there so <laughs> mm, so Windlenot after this was asked to withdraw his name from the royal society because of this whole event and added to that he was asked to withdraw too because of his proselytizing his far-fetched theories including hollow earth yeah including hollow earth theory ancient aliens and the veracity of the city of atlantis oh yeah rightly anyway yeah angry at the sorry yeah angry that the establishment cut him out he left england abandoning his heritage his marriage and his son to go to america to seek approbation there he dreamed of founding a museum to house all of the wonders that he has and has yet to discover. Windledot arrives in Mount Pleasant, a town somewhere in New England, probably, in 1959. He begins teaching at the university there that fall. That fall, He also begins keeping a diary in the form of letters written to his son, Geoffrey. He decides to drop the honorific Sir and trade it for Professor. He doesn't have a good experience at the university, however. He considers the college to be a football fan club with little interest in real science or archaeology. He chafes at the ridicule and the scorn he receives from the faculty and students alike for his strange theories. He earns here the nickname Windlenut, which comes up many times in his (laughs) life. He resolves to finish out the term, but will not return to teach again. He writes that he'll go home to visit Jeffrey for Christmas, but it's not clear if he does. In 1960, Windlenot buys some land outside Mount Pleasant for his dreamed-of museum, Windlenot's Museum of the Strange and Unusual. The groundbreaking occurs that summer. He feels he's respected and admired in America, while in England he would have been laughed at and scorned. But what had begun on so promising a note soon turns sour. Windlenot chooses to keep everything about the museum and its construction a secret, refusing to hire workers from Mount Pleasant. The town mayor and the Chamber of Commerce had been hoping for a boom of jobs and tourism, and this news aggravates them. Windlenot is too busy to visit his family for Christmas that year, and the next, and he never returns home for Christmas or at any other time. The museum is supposed to open in 1961, but it doesn't. By 1962, relations with the town are deteriorating at an alarming rate, with the museum still being constructed in secret by outside contractors, and it's opening behind schedule. Come 1965, the construction is slowed by Windlenot's absence, collecting artifacts and mutinous laborers and contractors. Windlenot becomes a little paranoid about his hired help. By the time 1970 rolls around, relations have not improved. The city refuses Windlenot access to the electrical grid, so he decides to purchase a massive generator to run the museum instead. Despite that, the museum still isn't finished. Any goodwill he had in town is sunk into the grave. In 1972, Mary Elizabeth, the wife Windlenot left behind in England, writes to him to say that while she approves of his withdrawing from the Royal Society, she detests him for a charlatan and a trickster. She tells him that his exploits will adversely affect their son and that it would be best if he no longer contacted Jeffrey. Windlenot is heartbroken. 
He supposes he maybe should have written to Mary Elizabeth once or twice, but felt sure that he had treated Geoffrey well with frequent letters and gifts, even if he missed a birthday here or there. But Geoffrey's future is important, and Windlenot agrees not to contact him anymore. However, Windlenot still gets news about his son from his family's lawyer. The lawyer sends a clipping from a newspaper that same year about Geoffrey attending Oxford to become a banker. Oof. <laughs> Big oof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Construction continues over the years. In 1974, Windlenot is told by some South American folks working on the museum about a collection of artifacts discovered by a German archaeologist in Peru. Windlenot writes to the authorities in uh, Peru about them. Negotiations take some time as construction on the museum continues unabated. The authorities in Peru agree to sell Windelnot the collection of artifacts belonging to the deceased archaeologist Siegfeld Schwartz. Mr. Schwartz died under mysterious circumstances, as had a number of other people. All were found shriveled, as if mummified. Windelnot believes the Mayan pottery in Schwartz's collection had something to do with the mysterious deaths. When Windelnot brings these pots to the museum, the workers say they will leave if he disturbs them in any way so he leaves the pots unexamined. However, Schwartz had apparently translated some tablets written in Mayan with the story of the pots. The translation is rough, and Windelnot sends it to be verified by an expert. In 1979, the expert is able, to, is able to verify that the translation is accurate, if dramatic. The story tells of an ancient Mayan king named Botcambo, who, upon taking the throne of the Zapana, decrees that there shall be no human sacrifices for an entire year. While the people rejoice, the Mayan snake god grew wroth. The Shupi, children of the snake god, were freed from Shibalba to roam the mortal world, devouring the life essence of the people of Zapana. King Mokambo, after learning what his decree had wrought, offered himself to the gods to save his people. The moon goddess Ishel was so moved by this that she offered Mokambo the talismans and vessels he would need to trap and seal each Ishupi away and end their reign of terror and death. She told him what to do, what words to speak, and how to put some of each element into each vessel with which to trap the Ishupi. King Motkambo followed the goddess's advice, and all the Ishupi were soon trapped. The people rejoiced, but the snake god was wroth to see his children so trapped. So he gave his children a boon, decreeing that, should they be freed, each Ishupi would be able to use and hide in that element which had trapped them. To keep the Ishupi from ever being freed, King Motkambo buried them in a tomb with tablets detailing the story of the attack and what laid buried there as a warning. And so it was for centuries, until the world forgot the Ishupi and the legends died, and someone discovered the tomb and disturbed the Ishupi. And in fact, the museum workers are disturbed by the pots, frightened of them. Eventually, they can't trust their safety and leave. Come 1980, Windelnot is tired of fighting with laborers and wants to be done with the museum. He wants to finish his collections to get back to what he loves doing, which is not managing, but discovering things. Oh my god, is he enthusiastic about that. (laughs) (laughs) He is so enthusiastic about it. On a trip into Mount Pleasant proper, Windelnot notices a teenage boy following him around and staring at him, occasionally taking notes in a notebook. Windelnot has never seen this kid before, but he's reminded a little bit of his younger self. This odd occurrence happens many times over the course of some weeks. Eventually, Windelnot notices the boy is actually being followed by someone else, a girl of about the same age. Windelnot runs into the boy working in the local bookstore. The boy has many questions for him, and Windelnot kind of trolls him by acting really mysterious. 
Uh, Wendell Knott also notices that the girl has visited the bookstore to watch the boy. Wendell Knott will be going to Africa soon, but he decides to invite the teenagers to the museum after he returns, as they are rather intriguing. But who is the odd boy stalking Wendell Knott all over town? He's Merrick Campbell, who moved to Mount Pleasant recently with his father from New York City. Merrick isn't pleased about the prospect of moving, but is intrigued by the mysterious and still incomplete museum on Mount Pleasant's outskirts. And who is the girl following Merrick around town? Well, that's Beth Nelson, who goes to the same school. Beth is an incredibly smart student, too smart for her own good, perhaps, as her grades show. She's bored in class and often bored by her dating attempts, all of whom don't measure up to her standards and needs, at least until Merrick. Beth approaches Merrick at school and says she knows Professor Windlenot. Merrick doesn't believe her, and it turns out, yeah, that was a lie. But she does know Windlenot has a secret way into the museum. Merrick follows the professor home and sees him enter through the secret Stonehenge entrance, proving Beth correct. Merrick continues to tail the professor and map out what he can see of the museum grounds between doing school and doing work. After hearing that the professor is going to Africa, Merrick decides that he's going to break into the museum to explore. He invites Beth, as she's smart, and also has a rope ladder that she uses to sneak out at night. After much planning and plotting, the two teenagers break into the museum and start to explore. They find these shoopy pots, and tragically, Merrick opens one, freeing the spirit inside to feast, as had been done again and again since the pots were unearthed and brought from their protective tomb. One by one, the Ishupi escape and make their way into objects made of the elements with which they were trapped. Tar, wood, crystal, ash, water, and many others. They attack Merrick and Beth, harrying them through the museum. The kids become separated and leave notes to each other as they flee, hoping to meet up and solve all the puzzles so they might escape the museum. In the end, both Merrick and Beth are killed, their life essence devoured by the Ishupi. Beth dies first, hiding in the basement, so close to solving the final riddle. Merrick finds her body and flees, only to be killed in his own hiding place. Where was his hiding place? The lion in the, uh, one of the room. Is it, it's not Tombs and Curses. It's one of the other rooms after that. Okay. Uh, it's like a big lion statue that you can pop open the top hmm. and he's in there. Okay, because I, I only saw Beth's corpse. I never saw the other two corpses. No, we actually did open up that one. Oh, the, the, yeah, there was the, the first corpse you find right away. It was just laying on the ground. And yeah. then the, the second we'll corpse get to that. was in that like lion uh, sculpture thing. And his, his like, there was like a notebook underneath it. I yep. Think. His notebook is underneath it. Holy crap. I was playing and I didn't register that. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I had puzzle yeah. brain. I'm going to blame that. It, it happens. So Wendell Knott returns from Africa to find that something profoundly disturbing had occurred. In the local newspaper is an article about two missing teenagers in a case that has baffled the Mount Pleasant police. Wendell Knott recognizes the boy as the one who'd been following him and the girl as the one who'd been following the boy. And he shortly discovers that someone has managed to break into the museum and there are signs of trouble. Furniture is knocked over. Notes are left in different rooms. Books are not in their places. There is also a presence he can sense, something lurking, waiting, and watching. If only he hadn't installed all those puzzles everywhere, they become <laughs> a hindrance as he investigates. And he soon discovers the dark truth. 
The Ashupi have been set free, the seals broken, the vessels missing and scattered. He realizes the two teenagers had been there, and wonders if they're in the museum still, or even if they're still alive. Harried by the Ashupi as the teenagers were, and unable to match the vessels with their lids, the professor flees to the underground lake, trying to escape the museum, but he, too, never leaves. The Ashupi drain him of life and leave his withered corpse in the dark, clutching a book of hieroglyphics. And that's where the player's story begins. With an Fast forward. <laughs> well, with, a, with an FMV sequence. But fast forward to the year 1995. Uh, <laughs> the game begins. It? It's <laughs> all, all 1995. You can tell. Oh. It's very 1995. <laughs> so the game the game begins with your shitty-ass high school friends locking you on the museum grounds. They tell you that this dare is your fault, since you're always going on about the creepy old museum and how you're obsessed with the place and hear voices coming from the grounds. They casually try to scare you with the rumor that Windlenut went crazy and killed the two teenagers that went missing years ago. Then... An ominous howl rises from somewhere in the darkness, and an urgent whisper drifts in on the wind. Get out! Get out! They are evil! Your friends get freaked out and bail, leaving you to spend the night at the museum for your dare while they have a good time at the movies. Okay, see you, They promise. (laughs) But, yeah, they just, like, peel out of there. Uh, great friends. They literally do a burnout. They're so great. they (laughs) They promise to pick you up at dawn, but will they? Unclear. Will you be there for them to pick up? Dun 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 dun. Left alone on the grounds, your first clue that something odd has happened is a letter left in a mailbox shaped like a dragon's head. It's a letter to Sir Hubert Windlenot, postmarked 1984. The letter is from Windlenot's lawyer, informing his client that he will be retiring and that his son will be taking over in his place. The lawyer expresses some confusion at why Windlenot wasn't at Geoffrey, his own son's wedding, and why Windlenot's wife was so bitter. He wonders if the museum is keeping him terribly busy, since nobody has heard from him in four years. On that ominous note, it's left for you to unlock the museum's secrets and discover the fates of the two teenagers and Professor Windlenot himself. Sorry, I was just going to say, but mostly figuring out those damn elevator puzzles. Uh, well, there there is definitely that. <laughs> uh, that was super convenient. Mm-hmm. You actually don't, you only need to solve the one elevator puzzle. You don't have to solve all the others, but oh, you know. Sure, just tell what? me that now. We're like, I went to well, every elevator like a fucking moth to a flame. Oh, look, another puzzle. Oh, look, it was an elevator. Oh, look, I have to use it again to get down. What the hell? That sounds like a personal problem. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, as you explore the grounds... You find your way into the museum through the secret entrance hidden in the model of Stonehenge. The passage, t- the passage takes you to an underground lake where you find the desiccated corpse of a man clutching a book of hieroglyphics. When you cross the lake, something attacks you. The watery shoopy was waiting for you, well, or someone, to come by so that it could snatch at life's essence. You're a little less alive now. You find Windlenot's ghost shortly thereafter. A Mayan pot complete with lid is lying by the path, and when opened, Windlenot's ghost appears. He laments that he's been trapped 15 years in that pot. He warns you away, telling you not to meddle in things beyond your understanding. You will pay for your curiosity. He tries to warn you of the danger, to tell you what you must do, but he is so upset at what has happened, and most of all, that the Ashupi ruined his museum. 
as you explore the museum, you learn about Windlenut and the Ishupi he brought into this place. You also find evidence of Merrick and Beth and their terrible last night on Earth. You find Merrick's ghost trapped in a pot as Windlenut had been. Merrick warns you there's nowhere to hide. Anxious, he acts about... He, eh, try again. Anxious, he asks about Beth and if she's alive before disappearing. In another room, you find the pot that has housed Beth these long years. For her, her incorporeal existence is kind of neat, and she tells you that she almost solved the last riddle, and that the professor was crazy to bring these pots here. She asks about Merrick before disappearing. As you wander, you find the teenager's possessions, where they drop them in their flight from the Ashupi, and you also find their bodies. If you learned what the ghosts and clues laid out in the museum, if you learned what the ghosts and clues laid about the museum had tried to teach you, and if you're a fair mind and a steady hand at puzzles, you collect the pots and lids and learn the way to track and trap these shoopy. You learn about Merrick and Beth from their belongings and about Windlenot from all the things he left behind. You learn about Windlenot's theories and his love of the unknown and his personal brand of science, celebrating the marvelousness and strangeness of the world while holding up tales and myths as fact. You get to watch a video of him uh, very enthusiastically talk about a tunnel with very high shorts and a very fun hat. Yeah, that's the video I didn't get to see. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you didn't. Oh, that's so sad. My it's internet so cut great. out, so I got to see him go, Hi, I'm Professor Windlenot. And then I got to see him, Thanks for watching this yeah, video. Yeah, you got back like right as the video ended. <laughs> and Chandler's like, I've had enough of that. We're not going to watch it again. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> like <laughs> yep. Oh, boy. <laughs> one by one. You solve the puzzles, find the Ishupi, and return them to their vessels. Finally, as you trap the last Ishupi, the Spirit of Lightning, the massive generator in the basement overloads, blowing a hole in the wall of the museum. Outside, it's morning, and your shitty friends climb up to the broken wall. They don't show that much concern for your well-being and proceed to make fun of you and tease you about your night in the haunted museum until they see Beth's body still curled in her hiding place in the wall. The epilogue is a newspaper clipping. The 15-year-old mystery has been solved. The bodies of Professor Windlenot, Merrick, and Beth have been found. Though the cause of their deaths is uncertain. To everyone but you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you figured it out. Uh, There's also a tease for the sequel on that newspaper clipping, but... uh... I, is there a sequel? Yes, there was. There is. There, there, there is a sequel. Um, we can talk about that at the end. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's the story that you don't get in that form, but that was me distilling all of the text in the game and the clues into a cohesive narrative. Yep. Um, that, and I would love to know what you guys think of it. That makes the game significantly more interesting. That's for sure. Yeah. Obviously, I'm uh, very interested because I didn't see the corpses. I was like, puzzle time, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's a dead thing in this line. Well, I'll just close that up. Well, I kind of got desensitized because, you know, seeing a skeleton fall out of a casket, seeing like random horrific 3D (laughs) models. You kind of just start blowing it off. Like, oh, was that actually a corpse or was it just some flare for that Windlenut put up? I don't know. Doesn't bother me. I any. like that you're already referring to him as Windlenut, too. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. That's so mean. <laughs> okay. But kind of true. That jackhole brought those pots in and then 
only let you grab one of those fucking pot parts, and then you have to go around his bullshit museum to try and find the other half of his this pot part so you don't get bitten when you look at something. I'm a little salty about that. <laughs> I have two hands, damn it. I can do two things. That's right. And pockets. They're not that big. Okay, I'm thinking like an, a funerary urn, so like maybe a little bit bigger than your pocket, but like even then you could still hold like a lid and a pot. Just yeah. two hands. Two hands. That's fair. That would be great. I would just like to have a place where I can put the lid in the pot because the game pretends that the only place that you can put a lid or a pot is where you find a lid or a pot and has well, there one are random some storage can... place. I guess we actually better talk about the mechanics here yeah. because That's probably I, a good idea. anyone who yeah. is anyone who has not played this game is probably like, what the fuck? Like they get the idea about the lids and the pots. I just told that in the story, but mechanically, I don't think it's clear what we're talking about. So yeah, that's probably, probably a good idea. That. So, okay. It is a puzzle game. You're looking for a lid and a pot. These lids and pots are put in nonsensical places and you can pick them up from that location or put them down in that location. Or you can swap them in that location, but you can only carry one. You can carry one lid or one pot unless they match, which is the lid goes with that same pot, and then you can, then you can carry object. the lid and the pot together. Yeah, then yeah. You, uh, it actually which is what you need to catch combine after that. Yep. Yeah, they combine themselves uh, yep. at that point if you mm -hmm. if you pick up the right lid to go with the right pot or vice versa. Yeah, and you know that's a fun base mechanic. Like I'm not against that in principle at all the problem is the gatekeeping with puzzles yes that's where the two hands thing comes into play if it was me in real life doing this you bet your ass i would have two things in my hand and you bet your ass i would be collecting them into one common location and putting them together there because we're talking 20 pieces throughout this puzzle laden museum and you can pick up one thing and put it in a very specific location. So I'm going to point out two things, just interjecting, just for the audience. You can hide pots in the library. There's a library room that has some storage. You can't put everything there, but you can put some there. You can put I think it's like one thing, isn't it? Two. No, there's a couple. There's a couple places you could put things in two uh, if you want to move them there. However, I also would like to point out the fact that my, my co-anchors here are forgetting that this was like 1995, where it was really common to like write notes down as you're playing the game so that you can remember where you've hid shit. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I was just as lazy as I am today back then. <laughs> I bring this up because that's what I was doing when I was playing it, and the first time I played this game, I did play it with a friend who really loved this game. And so she was helping me, giving me hints, but I'm like, I'm sitting here writing down, like, all of the things. Like, okay, so the three shark lid is in this location. So that later on, when I'm like, oh, wait, I think this goes with the sheet three shark lid. Where did I leave that? I'll know where to go. No. Um, and so I was baffled by the fact that they're like, I don't know why they did this. Because you can't remember where anything is. I'm like, well, you write it down. <laughs> no, no, see, you're doing it the logical way tom and yeah. i were doing it the Sco scooby-doo running through doors while being chased by <laughs> that's exactly what we were doing and you know we were being the jackholes about it because apparently we decided oh this is the perfect time to try our uh high school jock mentality on a puzzle game <laughs> 
I guess so. I It's like so unlike you guys. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't think it's unlike us at all. I've always been lazy. <laughs> oh, okay. okay, well, you're effort averse. It's, it's fair. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> this is why back in the 90s when I was like getting into video games and these games were new, I never got into puzzle games. I played a little bit of Myst and I went, wow, this is like too much work. <laughs> I mean, and there you go. I'm not judging because I was exactly the same way, but <laughs> yeah. After we did our playthrough or partial playthrough, I kind of sat down and thought about that. And yeah, this game demands that you do it. Yeah, you have way. to. There's no option. I'm, maybe I'm just really spoiled being from a later time period where the developers from the future yeah. <laughs> um, but like from the modern perspective you don't ask that much of your player because you will not get the playthrough that you need to stay alive as a i mean developer. at the end of the right i mean at the end of the day games are made to be fun and taking notes arguable is not well, taking notes is not always fun. We all know that that what you said was not true because we all <laughs> suffered through my summer car together. Hey, I yep. had a blast when I was playing it with you guys. It was just <laughs> awful by myself. Yeah, but it's it's not a fun game, and it wasn't developed to be fun. Like... That's true. That is true. <laughs> that you had a good time with it is irrelevant. It wasn't <laughs> built to be a fun. Yeah, so, I mean, that part is absolutely categorically false. And we proved it <laughs> just the last month. <laughs> okay, but I will argue this. That game was meant to be played, at least I think, I hope, it was meant to be played with people, or at least with an audience. This was genuinely meant to be played by yourself. Yeah. So, I don't know. Obviously, Devin, you like it, so you are enjoying it at some point. Maybe what this really boils down to is wrong audience. But oh, yeah, um, it's definitely possible because I I also am the one that like I love Mist. Mist is so great. I'm bad at puzzles, but I love it anyway. And this is very much in the same vein as Mist, where it's this story you have to unlock yourself. Though this game really asks you to do some more interpretation of the story than Mist does. Uh, but you know, it asks you to do that. It asks you to take notes. It asks you to read everything and solve the puzzles and especially logic puzzles and fucking random puzzles. And, uh, yeah. So it's definitely, I'm the right audience for this game. Well, it's also a little bit spoopy, even though the most spoopy thing that happened in the game, I've only ever seen it once. And I, I kind of feel like I imagined it like (laughs) there's a there, you know, the, um, the, the projector room in the theater. If you walk between the shelves, you know, you walk between the shelves and then you're facing the wall and then you turn around and you're facing the door you just came into. The first time I played that and I walked in there and I turned around, there was a really spooky shadow on the wall. Oh, that, that was like, absolutely there. Dr- drifted. Okay. Because, like, I've never seen it since. And I was so scared when I saw it. I didn't want to move. And my friend was like, y- you can move. It-, it was just a spoop. And I'm like, I'm so spooped right now. That- I don't think I can so- it was very much like Mist in a lot of ways. Because Mist also was like that. This ambience is so spoopy. I can't move. I don't know what to do. That's hilarious because a jock Tom and I were walking through there. I saw it, didn't register it, and Tom was bitching about how stupid the elevator puzzle was still. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're just not going to comment on that. And completely <laughs> forgot about it and went and touched the reels and got spoofed by the Ashupi there. Because apparently mm-hmm. this guy doesn't learn and has to touch things. Well, when Shem and I first started playing, we didn't even realize that we were getting hurt. We were just like, I was reading a fucking walkthrough and I'm like, Okay, That's... so the spoopy or whatever the hell it is is in this location. And so Chandler would be like, okay. And he'd walk over and he'd disturb the thing and it would attack <laughs> us. And we were like, cool, got that done. You got... Thinking you that guys... we were like accomplishing a goal. No. <laughs> I can't believe. Oh, my God. So so for the audience's uh, uh, edification, um, there is a special music theme, a musical melody uh, or a sting that plays when there is an Ashupi hiding in the room that you're in. Uh, and it will overlay uh, over the, the room's music itself. Um, so there are cues to know that there is an Ashupi in the room. Uh, and if you know kind of like what elements the Ashupi can hide in, you kind of know what to avoid. For example, a big pile of sand, a big crystal chandelier, a tar pit, a uh, a toilet full of water. An, an, uh, <laughs> a, a fireplace full of ashes. Hey, look, full it's that ashes. thing again. Why is this green yep. bar at the bottom keep dropping? <laughs> yeah, uh, Chandler and I attacked one so much, like we kept bothering it, that it gave up and left. Yeah. <laughs> it attacked us, attacked us, attacked us, and we were like, are we missing something? What are we supposed to be doing with this thing? And it kept attacking us, and then it was just like, you know what, you guys are too stupid for me, I'm leaving. <laughs> Yeah, well, okay, to be perfectly fair, Devin did tell us to, and I'm quoting her on this, play it blind. And we were playing this completely blind with a walkthrough with zero context. See, because, see, why I was, why I said blind was because I knew that if you would went to a walkthrough, none of the walkthroughs actually explain to you what you're doing or why. Yes. And so you would just go down the checklist and go, okay, and that wouldn't actually communicate to you what the game is doing. So I meant blind as in no walkthrough. Well, like, well we, we did no walkthrough for a while, and then we were like, this isn't working. I was totally willing to get on the call and help you out, uh, but I get there. So yeah, I get so they're playing it and streaming it into our Discord server, and I had something going on, so I arrive late. Uh, and so I jump in and see what's going on, and I feel like I was that scene in Community where Donald Glover comes in with the pizza and everything's on fire, and, like, that's what it kind of felt like. Uh, uh, see, I would have went with the Zoolander reference where, oh, the files are in the computer. I've never seen Zoolander, oh. so... Okay, that's a funny, so that's, funny moment. That's why I don't get that reference, Okay, so. fair. But yeah, you definitely walked in on that. Yeah, it was interesting because I was like, wait, what? And then I hear like reading off of the walkthrough and I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so to be fair, we didn't. No wonder they hate it. To to be perfectly fair, we didn't touch the walkthrough until we got completely lost and attacked by the fireplace Ajupi in the office four times in a row. Yeah, that was the one that gave up on us. Yeah. So. Wow. We're like, okay, I feel like... we can't catch it. This lip thing is Why doing do you... nothing. What are we missing here? Why are you still touching it when it's making your life bar go down? We didn't... It's a green bar at the bottom of the street. The life bar is non-obvious. We didn't know it was a life bar. We just thought it was How a green bar. How do you bar. not...
Did you see Windlenot's ghost? Did you hear what he was telling you? Uh, we were... were we supposed to pay any attention? About how you'd had your life essence <laughs> stolen? You weren't paying attention, okay. Uh, it's fair <laughs> enough. Remember, this was two meatheads going in completely blind. <laughs> we don't even know what the UI fucking means. We only know that we have one Ooh. hand and we can grab this lid thing out of the office desk. That was yep, as far as we got. Oh my god. I didn't even know it was a lid. I was just like, is nope. this like a statue? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I thought it was part of the statue to catch the thing in the fireplace. That's a That's great literally tutorial what we... moment. Like, oh my god. Yeah. We both thought that. We both thought that. And, yep. Oh. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing of why we didn't think that it was, like, hurting us. Because the art style in this is varied. I'm going to put it that way. Yes. Because the... Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So it it's all in 3D, a la mist, except for the FMV portions, which have 90s FMV talking to the player like they're trash, except for the ghosts. The ghosts were done well. The Ishupi, on the other hand, are 2D hand-drawn sprites that come up, and they are very well drawn. They're so wonderful. But Every one of them is different and match their element. It's so good. They're done in a cartoonish way, which, although, yes, scary, does not necessarily correspond with attacking you. Yeah, it, it's not totally obvious. There's no, like, screen shake to say, like, oh, no, I got hit. Or there's no, like, red, you know, like, blood spray or anything like that. It just kind of, like, has a sound effect. It kind of lunges at you. And then goes away, and that's it. Yeah. And if you're if you're paying attention, there's a, a little bar, like there's this like little like curly cue kind of shaped thing on the bottom of the screen. Which I at first, I mean, it's your heads up display. Except at first, I had no idea what it was. It, eventually, it's where you collect all your little pots and stuff. But it, in the beginning, it's just a little curly cue. And with a green with a green swirl in the middle that follows the shape, yeah. Yeah, which in the beginning, that little green swirl, I just assumed it was like just part of the art, like like the little swoopy thing. And it was during the whole we got hit, we got hit, we got hit, we got hit. I just happened to glance down and at the same time that we got hit and notice it decrease and I went, Huh, what's that? And then we got hit again, and I was like, Hey Chandler. That might be our life. <laughs> well, I think that's attacking us. <laughs> we were talking over the fucking uh, professor when he was explaining it the first fucking time we were attacked by a jupi on the water. And we're just yep. like, hey, is this going to be a thing? Like, are we going to find these ghosts like in this yeah. in this museum? And yeah, the, yeah we just the professor explaining that to you is is like the cue to the player like oh yeah this thing just happened and now you are just a little bit more dead like <laughs> yeah. that's what happened yeah. but yeah we were talking. yeah if you're not if you're not listening to him or you miss the pot because you can potentially not even look and see it oh we clicked on um, it you we, we, you don't get that. we followed the first rule of adventure games we clicked and touched Click everything yeah. Yeah. We including that didn't... ashy soupy like five times yeah, well, bad touch we, we had to try <laughs> i okay we were yeah. we were doing a uh, rpg role play of uh what happens if biff tannen went into this museum oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's the lie that i'm gonna tell myself of why we suck so hard and went to a walkthrough oh. after going in okay so we found we got a we got in we crossed the river 
we went into the we figured out the fucking elevator puzzle without any like any cues outside the game which is actually a huge testament to the game itself all the puzzles make sense because they leave signposts everywhere Mm -hmm. there's a puzzle that's what this game has and it is amazing for that and i will sing it high praises for that but if you're not paying close attention you're gonna miss all those other details and you will end up being like huh i wonder what that green bar is yeah (laughs) can't be anything important nah let's just ignore it yeah and then and then one of us fucking ask oh what are we doing here (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i feel like going in completely blind probably wasn't the best for us but you know well i will say i will say this the game like the the setup when you first get dropped in i had no idea what was going on that little like cut scene that they give you where they're like hey we're here you're here on a dare it doesn't really set up anything for like okay you don't get the backstory you don't know what the the mythos of this location is you just kind of I thought it was a graveyard when we first got there because I, I kind of missed that. <laughs> and and so it was All just the like, times that your shitty friends say museum, then you're just like, it's a graveyard. Well, <laughs> it's I like mean, the pigeon. Is this is this is this a graveyard? <laughs> Remember, okay. we were Biff Tannen. And right. I know, I know. Just... And the whole time they were talking, I think both Chandler and I were just going, "God, this is so ugly!" Holy cow, look at the graphics! What is going on around here? Oh my God. We were talking over the whole commentary, so I admit some of this is our fault. Oh, but I, I feel really bad because I uh, I should have like asked you to wait until I got to my computer so that I could be oh. there with you to help. Oh no, I that might have been a better experience. I enjoyed fumbling completely blind. For like the first, well, we spent the first hour poking at the fireplace. Is like really mm. when you came in. No, we got a little bit further than that, but like w- that first hour of us just blind playing was actually kind of fun. And it, yeah, even with us role playing Biff Tannen, we were still able to get into the museum, into the office, and. I think we solved like four other puzzles. I basically started ignoring the jars and was puzzle hunting when Devin came in. And then yeah. And then Devin's like, "Oh god, why do you have a random lid and you don't know where it came from?" Yeah. <laughs> well, where did you leave the other one? And they're like, "Uh." I think we found like three of them at that point. Oh. And yeah, you 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 were like, "We Yeah, I think you were like, "Well, there's another one over here." We're like, "We know. We already found it." Well, which one is it? Uh. Uh, were we supposed to pay what, attention what to that? What was the symbol on it? Did you check the symbol? And they're like, uh. what? And I was like, have you been to the library? And they're like, there's a library? <laughs> well, okay, so... Well, no. No, no, no. To to be fair, you were like, yeah, we've been to the library. I'm like, did you read the books in the library? And they were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, there's a book in the library that has all of the symbols that are on the pots. So that's how you know which one is which. And they're like... Oh, and I was like, there's also other books in there that have other things and backstory and lore. And to which like, we were like, uh, there's a story? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, wait, there's a story? It's not just random rooms with puzzles? I'm like, no, it's not just random <laughs> yeah. puzzles. 
and to be perfectly fair, we did actually pick the books up and then page through them at light speed. And like, <laughs> going off of this Biff Tannen thing, because I am not giving it up. We were Biff Tannen in this thing. We couldn't read the book, so we like held the the like front cover and just let the pages like flop down. And then we just like looked oh, at him like, like Gaston yeah. in Beauty of the Beast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we're like, huh, okay, that's weird. Put the book back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Though, though that does bring up like a really cool mechanic that's in the game, which is the flashback mechanic. So like yes. if you do read a book, it goes into your flashbacks. So you can go into the menu and then go to your flashbacks and then you can look at all of the texts that you have found where you can open it up because a lot of them have clues for puzzles. So when you find that puzzle it doesn't make sense to go running across the museum to try and find the book that you know has that clue in it. Uh, but you could just go to the flashback and open it up and see what the clue is. Um, and I think that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, though I did sometimes as I was playing, use my cell phone to take a picture so that I didn't have to open the flashbacks every time because there's a, a vocal line that plays every fucking time and it just takes forever. And I'm like, no, just give me my mental library. Just take me to my mind palace yeah, uh, <laughs> so that I can find the clue. And in all fairness to the game itself, this was a early CD audio game, and that so you want to see uh, your memory. Care to refresh your memory? Yeah. God, that's so annoying. Yeah. Ugh. That was impressive. Yeah. That was really impressive in 1995. Yeah. Maybe we would have been all forgiving because we'd all been like, whoa, instead of being like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. I feel like towards the end of the game, I would still be like that. Like, oh my God, can you please get on with this? But like the first couple like maybe 20 times that i heard that would be like oh that is so cool they put this yeah. on the cd this is badass we're, we're <laughs> truly living in the future but now like that's not a thing so i give that a pass in terms of like a <laughs> yeah. friction point now if you're gonna remaster it like absolutely get rid of that and like maybe do it the first time but you don't need to do it every time yeah exactly i'll talk about that in the how we can improve yeah. it and how not to biff yeah. or more so how not to biff tan in this game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, I just, I, I have like this whole list here of like, you know, things like what I loved about the thing and things that I didn't love about the thing. And we've kind of touched on like the didn't love randomized puzzles. All of the elevators have random puzzles. It would be one thing if you could like back out of the puzzle and then go back and then try it again. But they randomize every single time. And that's terrible. Please don't do that ever. Yes. And also, don't have puzzles to move the elevator every single time. For Yeah, like, do God's it just sake. the once. Yeah, yeah, like, once you've solved it, it's like, oh my god, what was going through Windelnot's head? And it's not a fun puzzle. Like, maybe once. It's really but... not. <laughs> it's not a fun puzzle at all. There are also some very tedious puzzles that I did not care for. The Chinese checkers puzzle. I don't know that you guys got to that one. Nope. nope. But that's just... To, it's a logic puzzle it's just long and tedious no uh and the harp puzzle uh, uh in the um yeah we got to that one yeah uh, i can't remember what room that is the one that's red with the red door uh yeah the harp i like that puzzle in theory because it's basically simon says but it just goes on for too long it's way too long and it's really easy to make mistakes it's just, you have to do it like 10 times and there's like 12 notes by the end or something. It's, oh my lord. 
Yeah. Please no. You misclick and it re-randomizes and you're like, fuck. Yeah. Also, the statue of Thor is blonde with no beard. He Thor is not unmanly and blonde. He is redhead with big beard. This is inaccurate. Hashtag not my Zero Thor. out of ten. <laughs> yeah, hashtag not my Thor. I just, I just need to bring that up. It just bothered me every single time. I'm like, no. Wendell not, why? Wendell not, you are a Philistine, <laughs> sir. For what? Well, I mean, yeah. look at that Thor We are model. talking about basically the professor yeah. version of the guy from Ancient Aliens, because he literally believes in Ancient Aliens, so... Yeah, he does. Maybe He's it's all about that. Maybe it all makes sense. No, no, yes. no. I'm going to defend Wendell not on that one. He's far <laughs> more charismatic than the Ancient Aliens do. Oh, 100%. He's much more, he's just really, Windelbot's very, um... Happy and enthusiastic? Ah, uh, yeah, he's almost got this, this, yeah, he's happy, enthusiastic, and he almost has this naivete about him that is tragic and charming at the same time, where it's like, wow, you just really love this, but you're doing bad science. <laughs> like, and of course the Ashupi turned out to be real, etc. Like, it's not to say that some supernatural stuff can't be real, I mean pointing towards Indiana Jones and all of the stories like that. But it's just like all of the, like where you need to do, you know, there, there are other places where he, you could have done good science, but you didn't, you just doubled down on your own thoughts. And uh, I actually have something related to that, uh, that kind of has to go with art direction. It's a, a quote from the manual from Marsha Bales, who was the designer and one of the writers on the game. And uh, she says, and in the manual for the game, like on GOG, there's like a PDF of the manual and uh, there's like a walkthrough and some like, you know, obviously the things like how to play the game. And then there's like this whole like making of section at the back of the manual, which is like interviews with different people. And um, huh. there's this quote. It's really cool. Maybe we should have uh, read and there's... that first, Tom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> manuals who reads those anymore uh, yeah remember when you had to read the manual for a game otherwise you'd be like how the fuck do you play this I've, it's been uh, far too long <laughs> since i've had to do that apparently considering, I know, it's considering how many time. retro games we play we really should just pro- know that. yeah yeah but yeah it's been too long <laughs> yeah um so this quote from marsha bales I can't remember, I didn't copy what the question was, but uh, it was something to do with, like, the factualness or the unfactualness of the museum. And uh, she says, quote, In fact, I would say that 90% of the facts you're going to find in the museum are factual. We stretched some of them. The artists got a hold of my design document and started using their imagination, just as the professor would have done. If you imagine a character who lets his imagination go wild, and maybe he doesn't quite study things as carefully as he should, that's what the character of the professor is like. Hmm. We tried to bring in various influences so that each room was different. Each room has a theme, like Tombs and Curses is a room about tombs and curses. Each room is thematic, pulling from different cultures around the world to get its ideas across. There's not a sign on the door that says what the room is. So anyway, after looking at what the artist had done with all these different rooms, I just left it as if the professor had pulled a fact out of the air and applied it to something else. That's something that I see the professor as having done. You know, he finds this isolated fact here and he applies it to something else, which may not really be connected. You have to pull all of these facts yourself and decide as well, is it real or is it because the professor totally missed the boat on this one? And on her design document, as a side note, she actually started that with her trip to belize and around the world and 
then yep. she was hired to Sierra Games to do this game and went wild with it. Which, yep. you know. Yep, some of her uh, home video footage from that trip to Belize is in the game. What? Uh, and it's it's remarkable. Yeah, like, that takes a lot. Like, I, I approve of her methodology on that one, because that was actually a really creative way to do it. And the art design yeah. in the game, especially for the a team that really didn't have a whole lot of 3D experience, like, this is the first time most of the artists in the game actually did 3D. It turned out really well. Like, if it was made today, it would probably be a reimagining in Unity, let's be honest. But for what it mm. was at the time, yeah, it actually holds up. And each room is very distinct, except for the uh, professor's craziness room. I, I don't know. It just looks like a uh, oh, 3D oh, test the, room. Oh, the the one with the uh, the madness room? What is that? Um, it was like the professor's the, the, favorite room. Is how it's described the, when you press the little button. Okay. Is that the one with like the the crazy like checker walls and yeah. things? The, is that the one? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. 3D. This is how you've learned yeah. to do 3D, and these are the textures you use to give yourself a migraine before you actually learn how to do anything in 3D. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that room made me kind of crazy but thank you developers for actually turning the music off when you go into a puzzle in that room because otherwise i might have just lost so much sanity i wouldn't be here recording this podcast today oh Uh, yeah that room did not have a good track to it it, it's it's track is so is maddening i mean it works it's thematic but it's it's absolutely maddening that said music is this music slaps this whole soundtrack this is so good this music is for a game that is far better than the game is here it's what i'm I, gonna argue I, uh, I disagree but you know yeah. you can have your opinion <laughs> we can agree to disagree well okay so the music in here is one of the earliest examples of an adaptive screen or adaptive audio which means the audio will change when there's an Ajupi in the room, which I didn't hear, but I hear that there that is part of it. Um, it'll also crossfade between zones, and it will have a lot of like modern bells and whistles that you don't expect in a game from 1995. Like the music is probably the best industrial track that I have ever heard in any game ever. Like certain areas exude like style which if you know me that's like what i live for like the warhammer 40k hallway in this game why is it called that (laughs) because the music is so damn good in there and the art direction screams warhammer 40k with uh skeleton (laughs) hands and skulls that you're it does you're expecting (laughs) to be like mugged by a uh gene stealer around a corner yep (laughs) <laughs> yep, that's exactly what it feels like in that hallway. It's like, what is happening here? <laughs> that music slaps. That being said, that music really isn't as appropriate as it could be. The music is relatively short because it's a dynamic track. If something happens in the room or you move off, the music will either get quieter or shift to something else. And because it's so short, if you're in a room for a while you'll get that looping issue. And when the music 
in like the uh I don't know what the actual room is, but like the tiki room where you hear bub 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 yeah, the shaman, shaman, and yeah, witch doctor room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so annoying. Yeah, and that's fine in the thirty seconds to a minute track that it is. It is really good, and I highly recommend listening to it. But in a puzzle game where you're going to be sitting there thinking about a puzzle or what to do next or planning, and you're in the in this room where you're hearing this heavy industrial music and this ethereal voice saying go back it's too late for you and stuff like that you're like wait it's trying to get a feeling here but it's really hard for me to focus because my leg just keeps tapping because this is just too damn good and (laughs) it's like (laughs) I, i guess for being a spoopy horror game that's not the music that you really want to put into it like the adaptive soundtrack awesome great execution of it not the greatest because of the uh, limitations of CD at the time, but that can be forgiven. You're gonna... See, and I think that if you if you had like your typical woo spooky ambient horror game music, I think that the I think a lot of the game's personality would be lost. I That's I fair. think it just it wouldn't have the same because for me this game like the whole game to me looks like the people who worked on it absolutely loved it. Like, this was a labor of love. People cared about it. The artists cared about it. You know, the designer writers cared about it. And the composer cared about it. And 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 tried to make something special out of it. And I think if it was just a normal, like, here's some spooky ambience, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't be as interesting or as intriguing. It wouldn't be tapping into that, you know, this, this sort of, like... This game is really... It, it's really kind of about like exploration for exploration's sake. Once you complete the game, it gives you the option to continue exploring the museum. Like you can go back into the museum and go places you hadn't done, solve puzzles you hadn't done. You can look over everything again if you want without the threat of the Ashupi coming after you. And I think that that kind of really like sums up like, you know, they built this thing and they want you to go enjoy it, just like Windlenot wanted people to come in and enjoy it. He, he he never finished it, but you know he really was building it for people to enjoy. Well, specifically for his son to enjoy. But again, that's like extrapolating the story, and it's tragic and sad. And so I think if it was just like, oh well, let's just make it, because it's not even really, I would argue, like necessarily even a horror game. Like it's definitely kind of presented in that way, like with like the the spooky like I mean, you it's know, called shivers like stuff that. yeah it's called shivers and it's got like the spooky voice when you load into the game and the, and the and the laughter and like the narrator in the museum each room in the museum there's a button that you can push that will tell you about the room which is super cool but like you know the the voice actor doing those lines is kind of doing a like a Carl Sagan impression. At least that's how it comes across to me. But like ominous, like because a lot of the rooms are talking about ominous things. Like there's tombs and curses. There's burial of the dead. There's, you know, um, man's inhumanity to man all about like, you know, war and killing and execution. And like, there's just all of these weird things. And the universal um, maturity level of this podcast where every single one of us was like hold on we got to go back through the uh hangman's news section and just comment nipple 
Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that that was one thing that I had to comment on because I know I did it. Uh, Devin, you said you did it when you first played yeah. through. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the audience that may not have seen this, uh, there is a, a gallows and there's a puzzle to drop the dummy the the mannequin that is that is going to be hanged by the neck until dead uh you drop that the trap door and uh, it opens up a, a place underneath where there's hidden a pot or a lid uh but when you go down you see whatever it is that, that you're there to find and then you turn around you know it's mist style so you just kind of like turn and then and and you, so you can see that the ladder back up um but the mannequin is hanging right there like to the right of your vision and there's just a big old nipple on his bare chest <laughs> right there and it's just really hard not to notice yeah just as you turn around which is what chandler's referring to yeah it's probably one of the one of my favorite moments of playing through it because i was like oh i like you and Tom were trying to tell me where to go in the puzzle. And I was like, hold on, I got to go back to that. And like, Tom's like, why, what are you doing? And then like, I go back down and turn around. I'm like nipple. Okay. Moving on. And Tom's like, Oh God. And just started laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Had to do the nipple detail. I mean, it's, it's a critical part of the experience. I don't think it was meant to be, but it is, (laughs) but it is. Um, Anyway, I kind of got off on a slight tangent, but I think regarding the music, I just don't think it, if it were more normal and expected, I, I, I don't know that I, it's just it just wouldn't have the personality that it does. I, it's fair. It, it wouldn't be as interesting. Um, I don't think it would be as intriguing either because it kind of leads you to wonder, like, what the hell is this this professor guy who built this thing? Like, what is his deal? And as you kind of go through, you kind of figure it out and figure out what his deal is. But do you really think Professor Wendelnot was into, uh, it, like, industrial, like, super He could have been. You don't know. Music? Like, it, I guess the reason I'm saying it doesn't she... match with the game itself is because it's really industrial. Like, Warhammer 40K doesn't make you think of, like, a weird museum. But yeah, that might just be my personal taste and more to the, like a actual critique of the music itself. It doesn't lend itself to a slower, more contemplative style of gameplay, mostly because of how short the clips are due to the limitation of being an adaptive soundtrack, especially from a one CD game from 95. Like there's a lot of music in this game. They had by design to keep it short. So I feel like if the maybe the music was longer and you didn't hear the bub 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 every twenty seconds in the um, shaman room, or it, like some of the other music has like really hard edges, and it maybe if like you went through it again and took those edges off or made it so it wasn't as noticeable to hear the seams then the, I wouldn't be so against using the music that already exists in the game in it. But as it stands right now, I feel like it's an experimental industrial rock CD put into this game, which is fine, but it didn't really work for me in this one. And Devin's absolutely right. This music does fucking slap, which is why I said it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And you guys didn't even get to the subterranean realm, oh, I... which is one of the 
bestest songs in the entire thing. It's so good. I am not going to argue with you on that point at all because I watched through a playthrough of it and I was like, what the hell is this music? This music is amazing. And it's in this red, like, ominous room. What? What is this? <laughs> oh my god. In the playthrough that you watched when they were in the subterranean realm, did they go look at the legend of the Daros? Like, the big robot statue thing in the subterranean realm if they I feel like i'm the missing out hollow the hollow earth robots i plaque. don't think they did <laughs> it's a bit ah oh, that's so disappointing because that part is so that is just like a really wild display in the game it's so it's just so strange but the reason i was asking is because it reminds me of the um minor spoilers for the expanse book three <laughs> mute for a second skip ahead a few seconds uh if you don't want spoilers for that but in the ring station there are in the book there are um machines like the alien machines that manage the station and the statue of the daros in that in that part in shivers in the subterranean realm reminds me like i i saw that thing and i was like holy shit i don't know why but it reminds me of those things in the ring, ring station and it's it's really cool so that's sad that, that the playthrough didn't go and look at that because it's so neat it's just a weird design it's so cool yeah i wanted them to look at it but by that time in the playthrough they had three jars down and it was pretty obvious the person playing through was like okay i get this where did i leave this thing they didn't take notes either yeah. i can guarantee that one because they searched oh, well, every spot <laughs> they searched everywhere yeah. oh no and it was a three what about playthrough. the uh <laughs> Uh, they they ha they probably had to do the pipe organ puzzle in the Atlantis room. I think they did, yeah. Uh, that is my favorite puzzle. I didn't really. I love that puzzle. Get what was going on with that? Like, I didn't personally sit through the puzzle itself, so. Um... Uh, there is um there is a, a a display about the sirens that plays a certain melody, and then you go and play that melody on the pipe organ. Okay. Uh, much like the um, the way to get into the Selenitic Age in uh, in in Mist, where you you find the notes and you have to play the notes in the rocket ship uh, to open the book. Okay. Uh, it's 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 a very similar puzzle to that. You find the melody, you hear the melody, and then you go to the organ and 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 figure it out. And I just love that because a the organ sounds really really awesome, uh, but also b it was just like a <laughs> it's it's music and. Like, it's in a uh, water-themed zone, so... And it's in a water-themed zone, so I might be biased, yeah, that but... That <laughs> was like a triple threat for you. It's like, oh, well, Devin's gonna be yeah. stuck at this for a while. <laughs> yep, I was like, wow! I'm, like, exploring. Like, wow, this is so interesting. It looks so great. Oh, look at all this stuff. It's underwater. Oh, there's sirens. Oh, there's a musical puzzle. Yay! Oh, oh my god, <laughs> I would laugh so hard if there was fan art of us playing through this, like two biff tannins and a uh, devon in the corner <laughs> screaming about how awesome the pipe organ is <laughs> the pipe organ is so great like i don't know if you need to know anything about me in real life it's like oh the thing <laughs> pipe <laughs> organs are great musical puzzles are nice I, i'm gonna yay music i'm gonna yay <laughs> oceans. i'm gonna see if i can draw that because that would just be hilarious to me you should because i would love to see you draw that i think that would be amazing oh it will not turn out <laughs> anywhere near what's in my mind right now but that's fine yeah the game like mechanically is actually very good about signposting and puzzles 
That was like the organ puzzle. If I walked in and saw that, I probably would have been able to figure it out pretty quickly, even Biff Tannening it like I was. But just the walkthrough that I was uh, watching, it kind of glossed over that. So that's why um, I had to ask yeah. about it. But yeah. like the vast majority of the puzzles are actually explained in the area where they are, which mm-hmm. is very very nice because there are some games that don't necessarily do that and don't signpost very well and this game rewarded you with more clues for puzzles that you weren't getting if you explored further like the um clock tower puzzle Mm -hmm. that was actually explained in like three different locations Mm -hmm. the first one being the clock on the side bed for the professor he has like this clock thing and it shows a face down at the bottom and if you press on the somewhere on the clock it'll spin around and show a different face and a different time and then if you go up into the tower there's a like console where you can see a clock uh, like the clock tower for the museum itself and then it'll hint further of what you're supposed to do with this giant fucking face that looks exactly like the same thing that you saw in the professor's bedroom and it's like wow that's really cool that makes me feel clever the answer to that puzzle is also in Windlenot's diary uh, he writes down what time the clock has to be at And that's the brilliant part of the game. It signposts so well. Yeah, I biffed hand in it. But even my stupid ass was able to figure out, like, most of the puzzles completely blind. And I got puzzle vision. That's what I'm going to call it now. (laughs) Puzzle vision. Puzzle vision. (laughs) It's a good good thing to... I think puzzle vision happens, too, when you're, like, trying to, like, run across the museum and you're clicking all the wrong things. And you're like, no, go the other way. Go the other way. It's it's part of puzzle vision. Yeah. Where you can't... You can't navigate. I mean, maybe if you had smell-o-vision, then you could smell that you were standing over a corpse and you might actually notice it. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Be like, what's that weird smell? Duh, I don't know, but there's a there's an elevator over there. I just gotta figure that puzzle out one more time. <laughs> uh, I gotta say, real real quick, the one thing, just while it's still on my mind, one thing that I thought was really strange when you were talking about the story, Devin, is that yeah. many years have passed by the time you get to this. Yep. How has no one gone looking for, like, I mean, surely at this point he's missed, like, utility bills and oh like well taxes. yeah something's taxes and there's definitely... just three completely yeah. undiscovered corpses anyway it was just a thought that i was yeah. having while you were describing the story i was like really that much time has passed holy cow it, it is a little weird like as i was typing up like you know my my script for the for the story synopsis thing I, I was thinking about that because um, I, I did go through all of the texts to find the years so that I could put all of the events in chronological order. And I'm pretty sure I got it right. Like, I mean, you know, I'm 90, 98% sure that it's all in the, in the right order, maybe with some minor mistakes. But I was thinking that too, where I'm like, man, like what, how someone... Why? How did no one else come here? Right. Like, how did nobody else go investigate when Windelnot's like? I mean, 
because the first letter you find, the lawyer says, like, wow, you must be super busy. Nobody's heard from you in four years. It's like, I mean, I know his wife, like, doesn't like him. I know that, like, the son may not like him very much either. Um, you know, but it's like, why wouldn't the lawyer send someone to check on him when it's like, you know, he's in the habit of writing every once in a while and he hasn't, like, we haven't even had a phone call. Like, I don't know, maybe we should check on him. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it feels, it feels a little bit weird that like, no, there isn't, but of course, if that were a thing, we wouldn't have the game. Um, yeah. but it is, it is really weird that it's like that much time has passed, which does make it a little bit more spooky and a little bit more haunted. But at the same time, it's like, what, how did nobody else come here before now? Have no other teenagers done hazing where they just walk someone on the grounds and then wait for them to die because of the, the ghosts and the thing. I don't well, know. These teenagers <laughs> stupider than Biff Tannen and couldn't even get into the museum? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It really wasn't that hard. We had no clue what we were doing, and we immediately figured it out. So, yeah. And it made, I don't know. It made me feel smart. SMRT. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Except for the gear puzzle. Tom had some had a conniption about the I... gear puzzle. I had a conniption. I was not I happy. Con- I continually have problems with the gear puzzle. I, I've solved it like three times. I, every time I go, I don't know how to solve this puzzle. How did I solve it last yeah. time? What What is this puzzle? Why is this puzzle? Uh, but it, it makes no sense. It just, it just, there's no context. None of it. I mean, it's like, this gear won't go here. Why? Why won't it go there? Well, I I think it makes sense why, because the pegs are different colors from the wheels, and you match the pegs with the wheel colors. If it was a wheel shape, too, the Biff Tannen would have been no. able to make it a little bit easier, <laughs> but, you know, uh, I guess we were just not quite up to that level yeah. quite yet. <laughs> Aww. Sorry, Tom. I'm, I'm including you with the, with the oh. Biff, Tan- Biff Tannen thing. I think... I think I was just too tunnel visioned on like, see the mechanic in me, the like, like literal, like deals with mechanical things side of me is like, I was going, what are these gears for? I, Cause you don't have context to say that the guy like loved puzzles or any of that stuff. You're just like, why is this panel here with fucking random gears that you have to like reorganize so that you can turn a crank. And I was like so caught up in just like the, this is the stupidest, most nonsensical thing in the rent in the middle of nowhere that I have ever seen, and I can't think of a single reason why this would exist. <laughs> Total tunnel vision down that that train of thought. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> well, we were able to get through it, but man, yeah, that w- that really set the tone for Tom. And it really did. I was just like, okay, yeah. cool. So we're just doing pointless, random puzzles for no reason. Cool, 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 cool. And yeah, maybe that's where we like really hit the biff tannin point i think so i i think if i had had some context to be like why is there a puzzle here i probably would be a lot more forgiving throughout my entire critique of the game well if if we you know maybe read the manual stop no one does that tldr dude tldr (laughs) just saying just saying (laughs) i i would have been a lot more enthusiastic about taking notes of where i left the thing like you know the lid or the jar i would have been mm-hmm. a lot more fastidious about that like hey you're just working with me here tom make note of this we're gonna need to need this later 
I would have been like that. But no, we were just like, yep. oh, puzzle. Hey, look, another puzzle. Ooh, fascinating. We would have been the kids locked away in this museum for like ever if this actually opened. Just yes. continually <laughs> riding the elevators like little minion monsters. Just being like, oh, this is a fun puzzle. And then just pressing the all the buttons in the elevator and walking off. While, while the like the janitor's just sitting there fuming furiously because it's one a.m. and we still haven't left the museum. Sorry, Look, that's like really... that's like a headcanon that I have now. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting, like how you guys approach the game versus how I approach the game. Because I got into the game and I was like, okay, it's a puzzle game. Cool. We got puzzles. It's like missed. All right. I got this. And then I get into the museum. And then all I really wanted to do was explore the museum and read the plaques and look at the displays. And of course, you know, you have to solve the puzzles to do the game. But like, I was more interested in that, like going around and reading the stuff and exploring it like it was an actual museum. Um, where you guys were like, seemed to be like puzzle hunting and kind of ignoring that part of the content of the game yep. or at least engaging with it less. I think uh, that's actually, while you were telling your story about like how the, you know, like museum came to be and everything, I was kind of thinking to myself like, wow, I sort of completely forgot we were in an interesting environment and was just on a mission to finish the game. It was just like, <laughs> okay, what's next? And it like, I forgot, I forgot to care. And I mean, I wonder wow. if that's like a thing that's more modern where we've just kind of come to take like video game environments totally yeah. for granted. Yeah. Or I, this is a good question. I, I think you're asking the real questions. Tom. Well, uh, yeah, this, this is also a tainted sample because uh, Tom and I were playing it for the podcast and, you know, we, if we want to talk about it, we have to play the game. So we got to at least see how far we can get into it before we have to resort to a walkthrough. Spoiler yeah, I think we were treating it as homework. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Whereas I was playing it for fun on recommended of a friend who really loved the game and hoped that I would love it too. How dare you uh, play a video game for fun? We've already established that's not what they're for. <laughs> Man, I know. What is up with that? I just need to get my shit together, man. I think I've pretty much said my piece. I really do kind of want to go back and play through this with the right mindset. because Yeah, we totally screwed the pooch on that one. Yeah. Well, okay. (laughs) I figure if we go back through it with the right mindset, I would probably be a lot happier with it because it does the things that I've been pounding other games about, which is not signposting puzzles, not giving the player a clear direction, not, you know, giving enough context. Well, we proved beyond the shadow of doubt, if you pay attention to nothing else in the game, but starting it up and playing through it like a goddamn moron and not doing any of the other context, the game will still give you those things. It'll, it's a playable game in that form. It is playable. You will figure it out. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, I can't bash this game, like, much at all. Like, my harshest argument is the soundtrack didn't match it. Oh, come on. That's a weak <laughs> thing. The soundtrack is fucking awesome. And if it was just a puzzle game with a fucking awesome soundtrack, hey, that's a thumbs up from me. 
But this game had more to it because Tom and I never got the context of what actually happened in this museum. We were just going around having fun. And we still got fun out of it. So, I mean, what would we improve in this? I don't know. Maybe something that had a health bar and that was like an arrow pointing to the green thing? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, more obvious health bar. Uh, and honestly, the, the biggest problem that I had with it, and this was actually, I would say my, my strongest critique of it. I wanted to care more in the beginning. I didn't have enough context in the very beginning to like care about exploring. I guess for me, when I, when we first got dropped in and they're like, you know, like our friend, our terrible friends are just like, ha ha, we're going to leave you here with all these scary ass voices and then split. I was just kind of like, okay, I got scary voices. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just got dumped into a, a yard. Like, I feel like if they had done, like, maybe an intro where they were kind of like, just went over some of the very basics of the story that Devin told and kind of what it is and how the thing, and now it's been abandoned for several years and the kids are still missing. And then they dump you in. I'd care. I'd be like, oh, there's a mystery to solve here. Interesting. I can't wait to see what it is. This one Instead, I was just like, I'm just here. supposed to sleep in the yard or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if we were going to be giant sacks of wuss, yeah. <laughs> right? But instead, we're like, nah, we're going to go inside. That's a good point. Like, the initial hook probably wasn't as good as it could have been. But if you were to see this on a store shelf gasps that's what how the games were sold in 95 what it would probably have that on the back of the box probably would yeah yeah so i mean yes it would be nice to have it in game but yes if you were if you bought this game it would have been described to you and you would have had at least a little bit more of the context i'm assuming from the manual and i would agree then it would have been like oh this is a lot more interesting but we went from it from like the absolute worst case scenario of, oh, you're playtesting this. Go have fun. Zero context. Even then, we still had fun with it. So, I mean, True. like an improvement and- of it. Yeah. Having more context in game through a cutscene or something more to read about the museum that we could find on the grounds or something probably would have been better but i I don't know i i honestly would probably change it instead of a mist style navigation to more of like a what is that real mist where you can walk around in full 3d Mm. that would be super cool to play like if there was like a real shivers where you could walk around the environments in full 3d that would be so neat yeah, I think the environments would be way more interesting because it, it doesn't feel like you're looking at a bunch of pictures. Instead, it looks like, well, it's a it's a place you're in. You you get a little bit more immersion that way. That would be way more fascinating. Honestly, I think that if it was if Shivers were to be made today, it would be very different. But yes. if Shivers was to be redesigned today, it would be a full 3D like real mist. And yeah, I feel I like I have fun with that. Yeah, I think just that one change would update this game significantly, keeping everything else the same, except for maybe replacing the asshole FMV friends. 
FMV was notorious for having asshole people talking to the player directly. And yep. yeah. this game is no exception to that. I think that would be the one thing that would have to change. Uh, maybe yes. changing it so they're just not talking about you. Like, talking to the player directly is great. Like, that's a... I'm fine with that. But reimagining the scenes with the friends. And that would that'd be all like, the only two changes I could really think of. I would even be fine keeping the track short and seamed if it was just real mist with different opening and closing FMV. That'd be cool. Sorry, I kind of hopped into this section. I was like, I got to talk about this. <laughs> nah, it's cool. I like it. Um, I, I think uh, I think those are good ideas. I would also, in a, if it were to be remastered, remade today, I would like the elevator puzzles to be tweaked. Yes. Please. Like, any, yes. please, no random puzzles. Please, 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 no. Like, uh, you could leave all of the other puzzles, but just don't don't make those random or it, you, what it needs to be <laughs> and is make a... you have to do them over and over and over again because yes. you really do lose like if you're not good at those puzzles or don't get a you know don't don't get a thrill from solving those kinds of logic puzzles um you you're you are cut off in the late game from a lot of shortcuts um you're also potentially cut off from a lot of lore you can't get up to Windlenut's uh bedroom without uh using an elevator and so I, I, I just, I, my first playthrough, like I under duress did the elevator to get into the bedroom because I wanted the lore and the secrets, but, uh, yeah, I, no, please, no, none of those never again. Yeah. They need to, they need to have one of those puzzles so that you can get an elevator card and then you're good. Yeah. That would also be acceptable. Or, yeah. <laughs> like each door for the elevator yeah that'd be good yeah you, you gotta unlock a once. panel yeah yeah you only do it once and then you're you're good to go yeah, yeah. Like, that'd be great that's yeah but that's just a rework of the puzzle itself yeah that's just a puzzle rework like that and, and honestly that's kind of yeah for me that was like my biggest complaint is the randomized puzzles are ugh. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm not, I'm not great. I'm not great at puzzles. I said that in Mist. I'm saying it again here. I'm not great at them. They're like the first puzzle, besides the Stonehenge puzzle to get in. Once you pass the first issue B and everything, you're gated from entering the museum by one of these random puzzles. And I swear, my first playthrough, I was stuck for like 15 minutes on that puzzle because I was struggling with it so hard. And it's not even a hard one. So it's, it's, the potential of like gating players out of the entire game with a randomized puzzle like that. Like if it was like a non-randomized puzzle, if it was that same kind of tile flipping puzzle, but not random where like, if you screwed up, you could just go back in and try again. That'd be fine. Yes. But they randomize it every single time. And it's just like, I don't know. And I was having problems figuring out what the rules were. Chandler, my hero, explain to me after the fact what the rules are so i get them now well, uh, but they weren't clear to me again with my the way my brain works um so i i think as, as a kind of compromise the first elevator puzzle to get to his office hmm. being static mm -hmm. would be fine but i actually yeah. do like the idea of having a number of randomized puzzles in the game just just if you didn't have to do them over and over and over yes. again. Yes. So like Yeah. The, yep. Yeah. The, that would be an acceptable compromise. Yeah, like the northeast southwest to get into the th movie theater. 
that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's more helpful when you don't read northeast, southwest from top to down, and then just do it randomly as you please. <laughs> do it randomly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's on me. If the game had the randomized puzzles, but you only did them once, I think that is probably the best way to do it. Because then yeah. you well, can the... get replayability with the randomizing of the pots, the randomizing of the puzzles, and you can play through and kind of tease out the story of this museum and the history of mm. the professor through multiple playthroughs. And I think that's a good way to kind of mm-hmm. give the game a little bit more legs, but yeah, I think they went a little bit overboard on that. And if we were reimagining it, yeah, yeah. just kind of make the first elevator puzzle static and then cut the rest of the repeated puzzle aspect of each mm-hmm. elevator door. Tom, do you have anything else to add? I'll go on to something else if you don't, but... Uh, no, I mean, I, I I, think a lot of this for me, like I said, is... Uh, the only thing I think I struggled with is is if I'd had that story in the beginning, I would have enjoyed it more. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, it's it's to some extent, it's just the wrong game for me, mm-hmm. which colors my view of everything. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, like, give it a strong critique because I feel like... I'm biased by things that that uh, would change the results. If that makes sense, you're you're, you're just not the target audience. Yeah, yeah, for, exactly. For this game, yeah, uh, yeah. But I can see the appeal, especially now that I know the story. Mm-hmm. It's way more interesting. Well, yeah, is isn't the story cool? It's really interesting and tragic. It is genuinely, yeah. Just as a side question, Tom, you did mention that if it was in the real mist, full 3D style, that would have kind of brought you in more. Um, yeah, I think I really, I, even back in 1990, whatever, when I played, eh, I don't even know when I played Mist. I, something about the picture style game where it's like, you're just looking at a picture. It's like unmoving. It's 3d, but it's a non-interactive 3d. It just totally pulls me out of it. I, I can't, I just can't get involved. I just, my interest level stays at near zero. I think if the game were to be where I can wander around inside of it, my interest level would go massively up. The mystery would be more fascinating. The environment would be fun to look at. I'd actually probably spend time like looking at the exhibits and like walking around them to see them from different angles. And instead of just being like, what's in this picture? Okay, cool. Puzzle solved. Next. What's this picture? Okay. It just does nothing for me. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. So... I don't even know why it makes a difference. Like, I truly, uh, beyond the immersion thing, but I don't even think it's, I don't know, even know if that's all it is. There's just, I don't know. When it's static, it's uninteresting. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a simpleton, what can I say? Okay, well, I mean, that is also a good point, though. Like, <laughs> if it was in a different style, but still fundamentally the same game, it would probably appeal to you as well and probably have a wider yeah. appeal mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Which is a limitation of the technology at the time, for sure. Yeah. But well, I'm I'm just going off of the if we're gonna make this better shtick, so. Sure. Yeah. 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 So what were you gonna sidetrack us on, Devin? I brought this up earlier that there was a sequel, uh, and the oh, sequel yeah. was teased on the uh, epilogue newspaper image uh, for the ending of this game, and it is very largely like a similar type of game it takes place in a small town in arizona 
Shivers 2. Shiv- it's called Shivers 2 Harvest of Souls, which is like really ominous metal title yeah it's so it's such a good title it takes place in a small town in arizona your character your player character is showing up to look for their friends you're all in a band together and the the town is mysteriously abandoned so it's very similar to the museum you explore these different areas in the town but it's a whole town and so each building in the town that you can explore has like a different theme, a different personality to it and this whole thing. And so you're just trying to solve the mystery of what happened to everyone. And um, I don't know that Shivers 2 does what Shivers 1 did very well or as well. Um, And it's interesting. So uh, Shivers 2, I just pulled it up. This is what I didn't have in my notes. It came out two years after Shivers. So they had two years uh, making this one. It, It released in 1997. And the really, really cool thing in Shivers 2 is that a lot of the puzzle clues are given to you in short music videos that your friends, and they're all FMB, but they're shot like they're kind of surreal music videos hmm. that your friends had shot. And so like all like a lot of the clues, like you can watch the TV and it'll it'll play a clip from this song. Um, and it'll give you a clue to solve a puzzle. And I think that's super cool. They try to bring in some supernatural stuff. I don't think it does it quite as well either. But the thing, the thing that this game did, it went really hard on those randomized gating puzzles. Oh, and no. it was a worse format. Oh boy. And to show you that in my theory, I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but my theory is, is that Perhaps in development, they realized that these randomized puzzles they were using, since they were a different kind, were actually too hard. And sometimes it would randomize in a way that you couldn't solve it. Oh, no. So they added in a skip puzzle button. What? You can't use on... I don't know if you can use it on every puzzle in the game, but you can definitely use it on those randomized puzzles. Oh, that's... And, uh... That's what not to do. (laughs) Yeah, it was a choice. Yeah. (laughs) It was a choice, and I, uh, I, I have so I played Shivers two, basically right after I played Shivers one for the first time, and it it had a lot going for it, and the environments were still very interesting to explore, and it had that same like you know as you go through people's houses and the different buildings, you explore like these people's lives and figure out their relationships to one another as you're trying to figure out what happened to them. And that's really, really cool, but the story doesn't come together quite as well, I think, which is sad hmm. because because it has such a cool idea with the music thing. And then after that, there was not another Shivers game. Well, it also it killed it, huh? Yeah. I don't... It was also like, you know, the death of the adventure genre as a whole. Fair. It was very late in there in that genre's life not that you know they're dead and gone forever like that's a fallacy but the popularity of them waned because you know we're getting into the late 90s with uh yeah 3d games and (laughs) two years unreal tournament's gonna come in and suck chandler's life up so yeah yeah fox is ticking yep (laughs) yep but uh i just since (laughs) i had brought that up i i did uh i did want to briefly touch on that because it's not i I liked so many parts of Shivers 2, but I just don't know if I could recommend it as strongly as I would Shivers 1, just because I think it made some missteps 
where it should have made some steps in a more in a you know a different direction but and the story just isn't quite as interesting Mm. uh, mostly in the way it's presented but uh that's fair (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's Shivers too. Um, but it was designed and written by same lead designer, same lead writer, Marsha Bales, uh, and the composer was also Guy Whitmore. So thumbs up. Yeah, and on in the show notes, I'll post an interview with him about um, how he talks and if, basically evangelizes the concept of an adaptive soundtrack for video games, and it's actually kind of a fascinating read. So that's awesome. Yeah, hmm. very interesting. But yeah. I think that's probably a good place to call it here. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I've said basically everything that I have to say. I, don't know, I can repeat <laughs> if myself. If this sounds like more. your kind of game, go play it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tom. I talked over you. I apologize. Oh no, no, I talked over you. I'm, I'm dead dog tired. I was gonna say, uh, you know, if you want me to like repeat myself a little bit more, I could, I could do that. But that's about all I've got. this has been the adventure mechanics i'm chandler i'm devin and i'm tom and we'll talk to you next time bye